0: I'm located in uh, Western Kentucky, which is kind of a thousand miles pretty much or 900,000 miles from the East Coast and 2,000 from the West Coast. So not quite in the middle of it, but getting there. So I moved over here in uh, February 2004, always been involved with farming. So so we have a, a seed business established here and, of course, the research and agronomy that goes around those seed products. So that's basically you know what I spend most of my time working on.
1: The traded grain markets are dominated by a number of superpower producers or regions. South America, the Baltic States, Russia, Europe, China and of course the USA are the major ones. What happens in these regions matters a lot in terms of current supply and also future supply. When was the last time you have read about the maize or soybean harvest in the US? You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you listen, follow, and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Getting an insight into U.S. grain farmers is always fascinating, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Colbeck, a leash man who's been living and working in the heart of the U.S. for many years.
0: I'm located in uh, Western Kentucky, which is kind of a thousand miles, pretty much, or nine hundred thousand miles from the East Coast, and. 2000 from the West Coast, so not quite in the middle of it, but getting there. So I moved over here in uh, February 2004, always been involved with farming. So so we have a, a seed business established here and, of course, the research and agronomy that goes around those seed products. So that's basically, you know, what I spend most of my time working on.
1: Certainly my um, impression, or certainly in my head at least anyway, I don't know much about Kentucky, but I always associate it with horses and horse racing and that kind of stuff. But obviously... It's a pretty big place um, known in North America. So I, I, I presume you well, you might maybe give a little bit of relevance in terms of maybe the size of the state that you're in in comparison maybe to Ireland.
0: So Kentucky is a little bit, I think it's a little bit bigger than Ireland, you know, as regards uh, uh area. Uh, populations, I think uh five uh, five or six million. So the population is not a whole lot different. Um, so it's, you know, just, just a little bit bigger, I think, in the surface area. There's a lot of it there's a lot of mountains and stuff in parts of it and trees and things like that, uh, you know, especially in the eastern part of it uh, where, you know, there was a lot of coal
1: mining, lot of coal mining and things over the years. And in the part that you're in then, is more cropland then, is it, Brian?
0: Yeah, so in western Kentucky where I am, it's pretty much all, uh, pretty much all cropland. You know, the state is what? We have about... Uh, Maybe 650,000 hectares of maize, um, 800,000 hectares of soybeans, 150,000 hectares of wheat. And then, you know, uh, that's that's the main cropping here. Then we got some tobacco, you know, very tiny amounts of barley. We got some uh, oilseed rape, uh, food grade, some uh, industrial oilseed rape, but very small in
1: comparison to the other uh, three major crops. Okay, I suppose maize maize, uh, as you're saying there's probably one of the maize and soya would, would in any state I suppose be the biggest crops out there.
0: Yeah, there's like I say, we got that sort of hectares in the in the country. I mean there's I think it's uh you know, around ninety million, I'm going to go to acres now, but ninety million acres of maize and about ninety million acres of beans. So Kentucky's like, you know, one to two percent on either of those crops. It's, the kind, it's,
1: kind of, it's kind of like the Ireland of, uh, the Ireland of Europe in comparison to yeah. the other bigger states out there. Um, in terms of size of farmers, though, I presume, is there, is there relatively big farmers in there or is it medium to small or what way is it set up?
0: So that's a good question. I mean, the, the average size of farms here in Kentucky, I think, is around 174 acres. But if you live in the city and you buy 10 acres out in the country, you're designated a farm, you know, and there's a lot of that. So that really pulls that average down. But being realistic about it, I mean, there's not too many full time farmers, less than,
1: you know, 1,000 to 1,500 acres in in crops, you know. And in terms of that, then in how are, I suppose, how are American farmers doing? Or maybe it maybe it's different in in Kentucky, Kentucky, how are they faring financially over the last two or three years? Have they been doing pretty well or what way are they?
0: I think farmers have done pretty well, you know, even since COVID there, you know, it kind of uh, gave everybody a little bit of a shock as regards the food supply and all the rest. Um, you know, farming really wasn't, uh, didn't really have any impact from, from COVID over here, you know, we could kind of move around as as we liked, really. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, you know, since then, I think, uh, of course, there was some spikes in fertilizer prices here and there along the line, but spikes in commodity prices too, but Overall, you know, um you know, it's been pretty good
1: the last couple of years, yeah. And go back to to, to, to to what you do in terms of your business. You're supplying seed. Is that seed of all of the main crops that you're talking about, the like some maize, soya, uh, oilseed rape, that kind of stuff, or are you more specific?
0: Our primary uh, the crop that we primarily work with is uh food grade uh oilseed rape and then we do a little bit with the industrial oilseed rape and we have uh, we distribute that across the US. Um and then I do a little bit with oats. Uh, some with peas some with sunflowers um you know some with rye a little bit with barley but uh yeah they, they all say the rap uh is is the biggest part of our business
1: okay and and have you got specific growers growing it for you in the area to to then bring back assemble and and, and shoot out the different customers out there is that the way it works or are you an intermediary
0: a lot of the we, we grow some of our own seed but a lot of our seed is imported from Europe oh. um, because we have a non-GM product um, oh. it's really difficult to find places that you can't you know get cross-contamination with the with the, uh, with the genetically modified uh, canola as they call it out here there's you know pretty much in the winter side of it the only really trait that's in the winter canola out here is roundup uh, roundup resistance and that you know is is a uh, we need, you know, obviously, when when our customers buy our product, they want to buy uh, the non-GM component because they're going for a premium weight, and uh, so then, you know, it's difficult to find. seeds. so you have to be careful where you plant the seed, you know, because that uh, crop okay. can, you know, cross-pollinate and all the rest over quite a distance, and then, of course, into the cleaning plants and all the rest. Of it. So it's just a tricky, tricky crop with that small seed, you know,
1: to keep it clean. And in terms of the the the, the markets, in terms of food grade, that's going to is a cold pressed oil or is it? more various markets than that solvent extraction coal pressed
0: uh expeller pressed uh, you name it uh, it's you know different companies set themselves up in different ways Mo- most of the larger scale processors are hexane um but uh, some of the smaller guys and there's a couple of large expeller pre- presses as well but most of the large ones are hexane and and then you might have somebody pla- you know crushing maybe five or ten thousand acres with with a small uh call press or an expeller
1: press you know Sorry, hexane. What do you mean by hexane?
0: Well, hexane is a, is a hydrocarbon solvent and, and basically it's really efficient at pulling the oil out of, uh, of any dry matter. So they basically break up the seeds of soybean or canola or whatever. And then it's immersed in this hexane and the, the oil partitions into the hexane and then they flash the hexane off by, the st- you know, by flashing it off, evaporating it off at 70 or 80 degrees centigrade. And then the oil is left, you know, the oil free hexane okay. is is or hexane free oil is left. Then you know
1: a very different product to the cold pressed oil. Then
0: very very different, but very efficient. And you know we can get down to pretty much zero oil left in the meal, like the soybean meal that I got to Ireland is pretty much all uh, hexane extracted, and and you know there's not much oil left in it, you know, and all the rest. And whereas the expeller pressed, you're still leaving seven, eight, nine, ten percent maybe, especially on the cold side, even twelve percent oil in the the cake you know or the meal and and that's fine for livestock and all the rest if if your buyer will give you uh value or give you credit for the residual oil in there you know
1: so you've uh, obviously with that then you have a you have a great insight then into i I presume a lot of your customers all the way around the united states and maybe we might just go uh, i suppose first in in terms of um you know we're just just about finished up harvest there's a few guys still unfortunately have a little bit in the ground um, but we're just about finished i suppose in your region where you are kind of more locally is, is harvest finished there uh, at the moment and maybe we might just maybe go to the general picture in the us after that
0: so in this area here the, the maize is pretty much wrapped up there's a few fields left uh, full season beans are pretty much uh, gone as well we've had a good run of the weather here lately and And they're all pretty much uh, finished up. Uh, What we've left really here now, and we're starting on them here, is the double crop soybeans that's planted after winter wheat. And they'll run for another, I don't know, three weeks, two, three weeks. We'll probably finish them by by the time we get past Halloween here. We should be pretty much finished with all of that, you know.
1: So to go back a second there, uh, you mentioned, because this is stuff that uh, I suppose most people over here probably wouldn't have an insight into. Double crop beans is what? Now explain that to me.
0: The rotation here in this area primarily is they'll plant maize, say they planted maize last year and harvested in August. They'll go in then and they'll plant uh, winter wheat then in in late September, early October. And that wheat will come off in June, you know, the first 15 days of June usually. And then they'll come in and plant uh, soybeans after that. And that's why we call them a double crop because they'll have two harvests in that field in in the same year, you know.
1: Okay. That must be a very profitable enterprise though.
0: Yeah, I mean it is, but you have to run your equipment twice. It puts more demands on your labor. Um, you know, it, it's ju- it's just it's more intense if you like. It's very intensive production, and you can you can make some good money. Add if you can find the resources to get it done. You know, like like good labor It's very hard to get. You know, good people anymore to work. Uh, you know, so a lot of the, a lot of the emphasis now is 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 moving towards machines without people in them, and uh, you know you probably have seen that over there too. Sure. So, yeah, but if you can, if you've got a good team with you and and all the rest, you can definitely make some good money on that. Now, you have to have the summer rains, you know, and in Kentucky, our average rainfall is per annum, you know, is about 45 inches, uh, which is, you know, higher than than the rainfall in Ireland. Uh, but But that allows us to grow, you know, some pretty productive crops during the summer months when it's, you know, 30 degrees every day and it's hot, you know.
1: So just on that then, in terms of the yields, just to just give people an idea, in terms of yields, what sort of yields, uh, if you can convert them yourself, uh, because we won't know too much about it, um, from bushels into tons per acre or per hectare of the likes of the maize and the the winter wheat and the first and second crop soybeans, what sort of yields are you getting off all those?
0: I'd say I'd say the wheat is five ton to the hectare, you know, right, and the corn is probably ten to twelve ton to the hectare, and the beans are probably. Five ton to the hectare. She's all reproductive
1: crops, really, all in all.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Now the wheat is the wheat compared to European standards is is you know no not wonderful. But that's high
1: grade millen, I presume, or it's milling wheat kind of job. Isn't it's
0: it? a soft red winter wheat we grow here, and yeah, it's high grade as long as we don't get fusarium or something in the yeah. job. And
1: in in a general sense, in the picture in in, in the states at the moment, um, if would it be right in reading that they're about maybe a little little ha- maybe halfway through the harvest, or maybe a little bit more, give or take.
0: They're probably a In little bit more, maize. yeah. Right. They're probably a little bit more as you move up into the corn belt and and things like that. They're they're probably sixty, I would say sixty five to seventy five percent done at this point, and and uh, they're getting a pretty good run ahead, you know.
1: And it, the yields look, or from what I'm hearing, they they seem to be pretty pretty good, and certainly maybe a, a, average or a bit better at least.
0: Yeah, there's a few holes here and there, you know. Kansas and Oklahoma this year was pretty poor on the wheat. They've had a really, and Texas, they've had a really tough time out there with, with no rain for the last nine months, you know, or very, very little rain. Uh, they were a little rough on the wheat, but then the wheat here was above average, and the wheat seems like it's pretty good up into the Dakotas as well. And so I think the wheat might be back a little bit overall, but the corn and, and the maize and the soybeans is, is in pretty good shape.
1: And obviously the maize is probably the big one that probably drives commodity prices, probably back this side of the world, really, for the most part. It's maybe the one to drive it a lot in Ireland, certainly anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, And just in the, on that end of it, again, I was reading a, a little bit and I don't know how how much truth is in it because I only read it in one or two different places where they were kind of saying that the... Um, the rivers are a little bit low and there's a bit of a problem getting the get the grain away and getting it exported and that kind of thing have you heard much of that at all or, or or does that affect kentucky at all
0: yeah that's kind of a annual thing you know the rainfalls are pretty you know even though we have a high rainfall those rivers pull you know we're we're right onto a higher river which feeds into the mississippi so but the, the watershed or the catchment area for those rivers is huge you know and a lot, of ty- a lot of times here in July and August, a lot of these areas don't get much rain. So those rivers normally go down, but the uh, Corps of Engineers over the years have built some really good reservoirs and things. And they're able to keep them, you know, kind of topped up or up to their ballast weights and all the rest uh, by, by allowing some water to get in there into the, into the system, if you like. So, but yeah, it's a seasonal thing. But yeah, I've heard some people talking about it and that puts a little bit of pressure on the... Uh, on the you know green grain coming off the combines and if you don't have storage you're going to take a little bit of a hit on trying to get rid of it or you know your price is going to, going to go down for as you know the markets go down you know accordingly
1: and in terms of the you're saying the 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 you're kind of close to that kind of a a, a, a transportation kind of scenario how far do, do most farmers have to bring their grain to these elevators
0: for most of the the common crops you know really i mean uh so the elevators, you can probably get one within 10 or 15 miles of wherever you would live, you know, pretty much around here for sure and in most of the country, really. But then if you want to go to the end processor where, you know, the end buyer, if you like, where you might get a little bit better price and you do your own shipping, you know, then you might have to drive 100 or 200 miles or something like that. But, but if you want to tap into the elevator system and, and uh, work with those people, uh, it's pretty accessible really everywhere.
1: Okay, okay, so it's a fairly fluid market out there, really, for the most part. But it's re- relatively well set up with, 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 I suppose, the equivalent of a merchant trade over here.
0: Very, very, very well set up that way to handle grain for sure. Yeah.
1: So um, maybe just to turn it back a little bit, maybe to back to more of the agronomy side of the house in terms of the the winter crops. I think you were saying that, that 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 a lot of them are kind of sown somewhere in in October. Has that started already in terms of planting winter wheat?
0: Yeah, weights probably we well, weight now today, heading for the twentieth. Weights probably forty percent, maybe fifty percent done, uh, seeded. And I, I, I here, and you know, oh, in Kansas and and uh, Texas, of course, and and those places, and and uh, yeah, so it's it's progressing pretty pretty well here at the minute. Yes.
1: And just the last question, I'll leave you go with this because I know you're 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 busy and money catching. You maybe undecided. that you're, you're heading from one spot to another there. In terms of your own, you've been out there for a long time now. Are you are you doing a bit of farming yourself out there?
0: Yeah, we have a we have a small farm here. We purchased a couple of years ago, and our, our neighbor, uh, we, his equipment does the work on it for us. But that's that's my in- involvement. with you know? So yeah, so a little bit of farming, but not nothing serious, you know.
1: Very good. You're not sucklers now or anything like that. You go tillage farmer. <laughs> or... <laughs> no, it's all, all all crops. Yeah, all crop. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to revert back to the old sucklers that's the, the 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 common one out here i suppose really but look brian it's been fantastic talking to you and it's, it's great to get a bit of an insight in what's going on out, out in the us yeah, and uh, you're if welcome. you're up for it we might touch base with you again maybe in, in, a, in a few months time just to see how you're getting on out there
0: yeah sure give us a shout anytime thank you
1: so that's it for this week and a huge thanks to brian for joining me on the show we will return in a few months to catch up with brian again an event for your diary is the Chagas ECT Grassweed Conference which takes place in the Killissey Hotel on November the 8 at 10.30am. The event will delve into the increasing problem of grass weeds in Irish tillage farms including black grass, herbicide resistant wild oats, rye grass and more. We will also hear from a number of farmers who are working with the project over the last five years. And finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to charvis.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy with a cold as you can hear. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.